Our podcast is about a story about a town, a small town, and the people who live in the town. From a distance, it presents itself like so many other fandom podcasts all over the internet. Nerdy, white, male. Get closer though, and you start to see the silliness underneath. Welcome to River Do's and River Don'ts. This is episode three, Body Double. Written by Yolanda E. Lawrence and directed by our good buddy, Lee Tolan Krieger. I'm Rob. And I'm Quinn. And we're going to take you through a brief synopsis, the best parts of this episode, the very worst parts of this episode, and the parts of this episode that left us kind of like, you know, when a big dog is sitting there and he doesn't know what you're talking about and they turn their head and he's kind of, kind of, that kind of feeling. Um, you mean, yeah, basically that. But when your dog becomes less... Tim Allen, yeah, if my dog became Tim Allen, I would begin for the first time to consider actually putting him down. Uh, yeah, no, get that fucking dog out of your house. It's a bad dog if it becomes Tim Allen. I mean, if he had anything to do with the creation of um, Last Man Standing or something, like just yeah, uh, look, just some of the worst tele. I we're we're talking about bad television yeah, on this look, podcast. That's what we do. Me, but like, there's a difference between bad television and well, there's a difference bad between trash and bad television. television. You're right. If this that's, is that's trash. That is bad television. And just let me say this: at least if your dog becomes Tim Allen, and you know what? Say what you will about me for saying this. Call me an SJW. At least your dog's not James Woods. <laughs> If you must desperately claw for a silver lining in that your your dog becoming Tim Allen situation that we so often face. I mean, it's an everyday problem, and I really think that we need to get the word out about it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, a lot of people suffer thinking that it's just them. Uh, I have started a, a non-profit, but I am struggling to get funding. Please visit mydogistimallen.org and donate everything you can. We're trying to start an advertising drive, and this is really the only platform I have, so I know that you came here probably looking to listen to some Riverdale-related content, but this is an incredibly important I mean, we've got to get this out of the way because this is very, yeah, this is very important. Very important. Remember. Yeah, sorry to go all public radio on you and to, you know, come to you hat in hand, (laughs) but when your dog is Tim Allen and you are in a state of such desperation... You're going to be grateful that you remember that I told you, at least it's not James Woods. Think about it. And if we band together in the face of this crisis, if we stand strong together and support each other. For only pennies a day. Together, we can all say, I don't think so, Tim. So episode three, Body Double, chapter three, I should say, Body Double, we get started with Cheryl explaining what she meant by saying, I'm guilty, which naturally, because this show is more than three episodes long, was not that she was guilty. Right. I mean, she basically opens this episode by looking straight at the camera and saying, got you pretty good with that cliffhanger, didn't I? And she didn't, but we'll get to that later. (laughs) Yeah. We then move into some more Betty and Betty's mom angst, which mercifully in this actually does have some serious plot development. Yeah. We have Betty confronting her mother about the unethical ways that she gets information for her articles that she writes and, you know, talking to her about how she may be making the trauma of Jason's death worse for people. Which, I'm sorry, 
But is now the time to start drawing the line about what might be traumatizing who about Jason's death? Come on. I mean, it's almost weird that a single person gives a shit about this in this show at this point. It's straight up confusing. (laughs) But at least their conflict is about something. And at least... It's not just her mom being like, I want to control you. I'm horrible. Right. And I mean, at least it's the thought that counts. At least someone's now thinking about the children. (laughs) Yes. And in keeping with being really disgusted by the habits of journalists in their tireless chase of sensationalism. Oh, I mean... Betty opens back up the school newspaper. (laughs) The fact that Betty's mom, local goss hound, also writes, like, is a journalist, is so on the nose. Indeed. But Betty follows in those footsteps, sort of shakes the dust off the old blue and gold school newspaper, and we start to get the Betty and Jughead friendship going with that. Because he is going to go and interview the person who may well have fired the gun that Archie and Pervo Predator teacher heard. Yeah, Jughead gets a chance to be like a character with agency, and that's exciting. Maybe he can uh, calm down about his narrations about how he's not a real person. Yeah, I feel like I'm turning into some sort of back-to-the-future type ghost. I must assert my own agency to ensure that (laughs) I indeed was ever born. Yes. So then we move into the meat of the plot for this episode, which involves a reprehensible piece of shit named chuck oh yeah chuck gives a bad name to everyone out there named chuck and he should be legally required to change his name away from chuck because let me tell you there's some chucks out there who aren't great but there's some chucks out there who I are wear some fantastic that are pretty yeah good. chuck taylor is very good and you know what there's another <laughs> chuck t out there who i've got to give a shout out to my my main boy chuck tingle Good guy. Name of Chuck. Hell yes. Chuck Clayton and, can frig off. And we we also have to face the fact that just because you appreciate a Chuck for his accomplishments, as I'm sure the Riverdale football team and such people appreciate this Chuck for his on-field achievements, as I appreciate Chuck Berry for his guitar playing, that doesn't excuse Chuck for doing bad stuff. Uh, no, this dude's real gross, so let's get into that. Yeah, I mean, he sends a picture around of Veronica covered in maple syrup, saying that he performed some sort of ludicrous sex act with her. Some ludicrous and elusively defined throughout the episode sex act. So (laughs) here's a moment where I'm going to say, for a show that normally characterizes its characters as being or seeming much older than they are, to believe that this is like a real sex act that people do, it feels more like a middle school move. Of course, disclaiming that anyone who consensually, as adults, engages in some form of maple syrup play has the A-OK from River Deuce oh, yeah. and River Don'ts. Not, not as a kink-shaming thing, but it almost seems like they believe that simply the act of putting maple syrup on another person, putting maple syrup on someone isn't what makes it a sex thing, necessarily. Food plays fine. It's not my cup of tea. Um... But especially specifically looking to the things about this episode that I did like, I'm not out here to kink or slut shame anyone at all. Right. Um, just please don't think that your parents made you by pouring hot maple syrup on each other because, and I know that you have access to the internet because you downloaded this somehow. <sighs> Kid, that's not how it happens. Right. But on the topic of slut shaming, 
Veronica finds that this picture of her sort of clumsily photoshopped to look like there was maple syrup on her uh, has been passed around the school. Uh, It's gone viral. Oh, yeah. And we find that this is not a new thing with Chuck. He's been telling a lot of stories about a lot of girls. So many. Uh, And it's not just Chuck. It's a large group of kids on the football team, and they've got a nasty little playbook. Where they literally categorize girls by how many points they're worth based on different things about them. Yeah, real straight-up awful objectification stuff. And also a concrete source of potential motive in Jason's murder, and thus an important part of the plot as well. Oh, yeah. And there's some character stuff there about Cheryl not being willing to accept the fact that maybe Jason was not as perfect as she thought he might be. Uh, yeah. About him being Resistant the kind of person the idea who that he might been involved. exactly engage in this kind of behavior. So, And we also have Betty and Veronica talking to Chuck and these other folks, various victims, about their experiences. And Cheryl is very quick to blame the victim and write it all off as like an urban legend and like this didn't actually happen and veronica pretty much gets in her face and tells her i'm not lying about what happened to me these other women are not lying about what happened to them and you fucking try calling us sluts one more time and the implication is that she would just unhinge her jaw and devour her at a gulp Right, but instead what we get is just an Ocean's Eleven style getting the crew together montage of the crack team who are going to break up this slut-shaming ring. Which I have to say was pretty great. Oh, it was incredible. There is nothing about what I just said that is at all a condemnation of what happened in this episode. And we also get some business with Archie learning some music tips and tricks, or at least... Learning some greatness by osmosis by hanging out with Josie and the Pussycats. Hell yeah. Gotta love that. They also really put him in his place. He is allowed this because he tried to approach them in the first episode and they did not have time for his ass. He looked at their ears. He fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. But Josie is tight with Cheryl, you know, and I guess there's no accounting for taste. But Archie really saves Cheryl's bacon by reporting about the gunshot. He's learning some music stuff, and then he gets, yeah, he gets put in his place a bit, which was interesting. Mm -hmm. We then move into the dark and slightly disturbing conclusion of the episode where Veronica and Betty lure Chuck to a heavily implied sex rendezvous thing at a hot tub. Uh, uh, You mean a sex koozie party? Yeah. Yes, a sex koozie party that turns into a torture koozie party real quick. Again, no kink shaming. If you do like torture elements in your sex koozie parties, this was non-sexual torture. And he admits to his wrongdoings, and Um, Betty goes a little darker than I think Veronica expected. Yeah, um, definitely. And again, this is a point where I do think that it's very important to clarify that pouring maple syrup on someone... Does not in and of itself constitute the act of sex. Betty did not have sex with Chuck. She just put maple syrup on him to shame him. Um, sexual education is important, guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, she goes really 
really dark. In the periphery, we have we have Jughead sort of pressuring this scoutmaster guy who actually fired the gun as a demonstration for his scouts. Oh yeah, Dilton Doily. Tell the yes to tell the authorities what's going on, so they're not mistaken about key elements of the investigation and the timeline. Right. And Fred Andrews builds his son a practice space. Very heartwarming. Unfortunately, that was based on a conversation he had uh, with his uh, son's abuser. Yeah, that becomes rather complicated. It was a nice thing for a dad to do for his son. Oh, definitely. And him not knowing, you know, it's a difficult thing. She's keeping it a secret. You know, it's not out there in the open. He'd never met the person before. So, you know, there weren't necessarily any direct red flags there that he should have been able to get up. It's just one of those sort of dramatic irony situations. But it may not not be in the open for much longer. Yeah. Because Dilton saw Grundy's car at the river on 4th of July, which puts both she and Archie there at the same time. Indeed. Um, I do need to sidebar for a second and say that I have trouble with Miss Grundy as a character, not only because she's a sexual predator, but also because growing up, I was told that the word Grundy um, <laughs> meant feces, <laughs> that that was specifically a word to refer to a number two. And I mean, she's a real piece of shit, so appropriate, but um, it's always something that's kind of grated uh, me about that character. Urban Dictionary has it that Grundy is an Australian slang for underpants or perhaps a wedgie interesting uh yeah slang term for an erection okay urban dictionary though like if you go far enough down on the like you'll you'll just get oh yeah um everything becomes some sort of bizarre maple syrup type sex act but it is actually a useful (laughs) reference for certain things uh yeah so at at any rate at any rate let's get into our our river do's and river don'ts i'm uh we again you know, holding steady to the relationship drama, main body of the episode, and a sudden shocking turn in the season plot at the end. My favorite thing, my best part of the episode was actually two things. And this episode, I could not possibly choose between them. They were so of a kind in intent and execution, which is the, I am not lying. These women are not lying believe women when they say that they have been sexually assaulted mm-hmm. scene yeah and also the we have to claw our way into rooms you can just walk into do not presume to be capable of writing our experience from Josie yep her friends think she's going a little too hard and Archie actually cuts them off and says no 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 she's right I am going to listen to this lecture because she is correct yeah about the dynamic here And both of these scenes were very heavy-handed and very on the nose. But you know what? For a teen trash network TV show, I feel like that is the appropriate level of subtlety, which is almost none. The intent, the messages on display in these scenes are exactly (laughs) what young people need to see. And I was so... I was so celebratory for these characters, for Veronica and Josie, just fiercely laying it out on these important issues. That was by far my favorite thing in this episode, and I could never pick between them. I 100% agree with you, actually. Um, It it was really, really strong. 
Again, it wasn't subtle, but it got the point across and... Well, I mean, look around at the world, yeah. like, see how well subtlety has done in these regards. We <laughs> we need someone just spelling it exactly. out. Exactly, and I had picked the same thing specifically around Veronica, but it's really true of Josie, too. Like, that really strong sand about both sexual assault and then privilege. Yeah, I face racism. You don't. And misogyny. So like, it was a, how it is. a yeah, double whammy yeah, exactly, for Josie. Double whammy. <laughs> you don't know what it's like <sighs> to have to do the things that I do from my position. Yep, that's right, listeners, by the way. If you haven't figured it out right now, we're some of those intersectional feminists. Yeah, those vile SJWs who secretly collude with the media. We just want to ruin everything so that people who are just... Any any person, literally any person, has you know an opportunity to have a decent life and not feel unsafe and miserable. Which I know that makes us evil yep. for us to want that. It's us just making everything um, so political. Yeah, so political. But you know, there you have it. Uh, I guess to our you know misogynist or racist or neo-Nazi listeners, just there's the door. Stop. I have it on good authority that it's relatively painless if you just leave the car on and close the garage. Anyway, that sorry, sorry. But yeah, that was definitely my favorite part. And so it sounds like you were right there with me that like this, believe women when they say this and the like very frank discussion of privilege, which actually really reminded me, it echoed the fantastic scene of Luke Cage explaining to Danny Rand that he's garbage. In the Defenders. Oh, yeah. Uh, also which, not at all subtle, but incredibly necessary. No, and, and needed. I mean, it, it opened up the possibility of Danny Rand being a good character. Yeah. Uh, which certainly was not what was going on previous to that. I did appreciate how much time <laughs> that show took to just fucking dunk on Danny. I mean, it put him through the exact kind of development that he desperately needed in his own show, and just the plot never gave him. Yep. Like. I'm ready to root for him in Iron Fist Season 2. I can't fucking believe it, but I am. Good on Doug Petrie for making this awesome show. Anyway, that's a digression. Yes, it is. Um, but we're we're doing draft order, so unfortunately, we have to hear about your River Don't for this week. Okay, so my River Don't for this week actually ties into the climax of this episode, where in the midst of them taking Chuck to task, Betty slips into a, a poly persona um <sighs> she she pulls this whole shtick out of the back um poly pocket yeah as it were. definitely and that it just didn't sit right with me it really didn't it was fucking weird and it felt a little bit insensitive to like people with serious mental health struggles that they might have yeah i'm not i'm not 100 percent sure about the intent i'm not either like it was a it was a surprising and weird turn and i don't really know how to feel about it right exactly um i don't want to ramble on too much about potential ways of reading the scene i can't speak to the intent of the writers but, but you can speak to the fact that it made you feel kind of it icky. made me feel a little bit icky and it just didn't feel good like i've been there's ways that you can have emotions boil up and be very very strong and you can say something to someone that you mean to say to someone else but this kind of ties into some of the stuff we were talking about last week in regards to betty's sense of agency over her own plot oh yeah the character continues to be ill used by the and i won't even say by the needs of the plot because she almost never advances the plot 
she's ill-used by the needs of drama for this moment. Well, she's also a prisoner of her own character arc in weird ways. And her internal struggle and her misplacement of frustration around what happened to her sister could have been made just as obvious without being that just mishandled, I guess. Sure. No, I, I don't disagree. My river don't for this week is much less emotionally troubling and a little lighter. It's more on a TV show level. I knew it was going to happen, but... I think that you might be talking about my perplexing item for this week, so I'm excited. Okay, it may, may, maybe I knew it was going to happen, but the reason that I didn't talk about it as one of my explicit points last week's episode is because it ties up in this episode. Right at the very top, where Cheryl says to the police and, nay, the camera, of course I didn't mean that I was actually guilty in the explicit way that the show was structured to make you think that I was saying. It is actually far more complicated than that, and you will not be receiving resolution on the Jason's murder story arc at this time. Thank you for your understanding. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was... I knew that was what was happening at the end of episode two, and that could have been my bad moment for episode two, but it really I was gonna I was holding out the tiniest shred of hope that maybe they would do something slightly different than what I expected. But this episode did open, of course, with Yeah, the ending of last episode was really bullshit, wasn't it? Right. Sorry guys. Yeah. <laughs> it was a cheap ploy. Don't expect any cliffhanger we give you to really pull through more than the first five minutes of the next episode. Oh yeah. Uh, so that's my that's my river don't for certain. That is fair. So that wasn't my quizzical content for this week. But we're going to have to wait another minute to get to that because we're moving on to you for just that. What was your perplexing item in this oh, episode? Oh god, this was so hard to pick. This episode was so weird and disjointed and tonally freewheeling and just what even is this show now? As I said, it's so different than the first two episodes. And I do think that it may be that it's a different writer because it's the same director. But some honorable mentions are, as you mentioned in your don't section, just really darkly psychotic Betty in kind of this not previously established way. Like you would think that if her psychological issues were that severe, we would have seen some hint of it during the emotionally charged events of the first two episodes. Yeah, maybe. It seems like just, oh, it sure, sure would be dramatic if she was suddenly, you know, saddled with this enormous mental illness burden, at least for a scene. That'll be fun, right, guys? Uh, that was that was perplexing to me uh, even more than it was bad. Though it was bad. <laughs> it was, yeah. Another perplexing moment worth mentioning are the gratuitous close-ups of CoverGirl product placement in this episode and explicit call-outs of the actual names of different shades uh, yeah. by characters. Let me stop you uh, right there uh, because you've hit my space. That was my perplexing <laughs> bit because it was so direct. It was just like, Here's product placement. We're doing this. Here's the shade. They did everything except tell you how much it costs and where you can buy it. Mm -hmm. And I've met some people who talk about products that way in this almost comical, unbelievably specific way. And it feels like in real life, I am having product placement done to me. It feels like I'm stuck in an interaction with a native advertiser or something. <laughs> they just did that 
Exactly. It was so shameless and so direct. It felt and like sponsored content on YouTube channels. Exactly. Where they're like, before we do the thing that this video is for, I just want to tell you about this great product that I've been using. And it's like, oh my God, I know that YouTube doesn't pay enough. And like, I get that you have to do this, but oh my God. Yeah. And I loved, honestly, the way that they tried to relate choice of lipstick shade to characterization. Like, oh no. <laughs> That's a shade of lipstick that bad girls use. You, my pristine angel, should be wearing something a little more like this. Insert specific product name and gorgeously composed close-up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, kind of jumped in the middle of your honorable mentions, but that was mine. Uh, go on with your honorable oh, yeah. mentions. No, de definitely. I mean, that was that was the second of two. Like, uh, all that's left is the real, the real head-scratcher for this week. In keeping, I love I love some of this parallel structure, right? We there are things that we can rely on in an episode of Riverdale. And the main three that I can identify are one, that most of the episode will be consumed with teenage relationship drama. Correct. Two, that at the end of the episode there will be a sudden and significant development. Yes. And three and perhaps most importantly, there will come a time in each episode where Veronica Lodge walks and talks in very explicit terms about what her character arc is and what her conflicts I are. I mean, I really character. hope they keep this up, to be honest. I appreciate <laughs> the way that suddenly she sorkins up the scene. Like, how long is the racetrack that they had to make for them to walk down? Like, Well, I mean, Sorkin, Sorkin Pool, which is, which is her secret identity. Yeah. We get, in the wake of the viral sharing of the slut-shaming picture, Veronica going into a cold and horrifying rage, doing a real fast walk and talk. Oh, yeah. Where she talks about how she's going to go scorched earth on this asshole, and this is how I feel about it, and this is what I'm going to do, and they don't know who they're messing with. And <laughs> I love this. If you want to come along, you're going to have to go Full Dark No Stars, the name of the 2010 novella collection by Stephen King. She makes some tactical references, by the way. <laughs> she actually, yeah, she mentioned In Cold Blood yeah, in the first Truman episode, Capote. which actually I believe the second episode, another character picked that up and there was another In Cold Blood reference. No, same episode. In this very episode, there was another In Cold Blood reference. But yes, Full Dark No Stars. Stephen King, real bleak, nasty collection of novellas. Uh, highly recommended. But I love the idea that she would have been, what, eight years old when that book came out? Right. Uh, presumably um, she reads things that are not contemporary, I guess. Yeah, uh, I guess. <laughs> um, I also like the idea of, in any given situation, just trying to find some sort of Stephen King content that you can use to contextualize the situation. Um, hey, mean, buddies. There's never... I know that things are rough right now, but if we buckle up and go into maximum overdrive, oh, I think that we can push through this oh, thing. I mean, it's not Janet Ivanovich, which would be great to drop references to with all of her elaborate numerical names for novels. <laughs> but... The king well is rich and deep. And in the case of Full Dark No Stars, contains a corpse. <laughs> but yeah, I, I frankly, these walk and talks should be tiring, but they are not. 
there is something about the way that Veronica revels in the metatextuality of it that is so engaging, even though it's so blatant. And it's true. She just wallows in self-reference and other media references as well. I mean, she is on a different level of postmodernism to the other characters in the show. Oh, yeah. She is an ode to postmodernism, and I adore her for that. Anything else for us? That's episode three, and that's as far as I have watched. Same. We're going to have to uh, get some more episodes watched and continue into the sordid mysteries of this seemingly innocent little town. Indeed. Indeed.